Welcome to the Basketball Champions League Coast to Coast podcast with you from Regensburg, Germany. I'm David Hine, and with me, as always, the sidekick, Igor Djurkovic. Igor, how are you doing? Uh, doing fine. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody listening. I uh, hope you're not overeating yourself and enjoying the holiday season uh, in, in a mild manner. <laughs> yes, for sure. I uh, hope everybody had a... Had a safe holidays. Uh, obviously, in times like this, it's uh, everything. Everything you have to say has has to have safe uh, included in it, uh, rightfully so. But uh, uh, you know, definitely hope that everybody was able to have at least a little bit of a of, of a festive feeling. Um, we even gave you a. We even gave, the BCL even gave you a game on on uh, Christmas Eve. So, yeah. pretty. Uh, we're, we're thinking about people who are kind of bored at home and just want to watch TV and don't want to watch Home Alone again or Die Hard again. So basically there's a game you can watch basketball still. Yes, yes. And a good one. And a good one too. Uh yeah. well I guess the precursor to that one was was a was a little bit better, but let's we'll get to that. Um, yeah, so this get the a week that had uh, our first team reach the playoffs. That was Bros of Bamberg. Uh, moved to four and zero, uh, and and uh, and now there's only two undefeated teams left. Uh, them and Dijon are the only two. As Saragossa uh, suffered their first loss, Casa de Monte Saragossa lost to Falco Sympathy, and and they won their first game against the Spanish team. Uh, so those are the, the the big headlines this week. Uh, we'll talk uh, you know a little bit more, obviously, about uh, most of the games. I would say, but. Uh, let's start with the the standout performances of week eight. Uh, Keen Anderson uh, in that Falco win was f- uh, excellent with 20, 25 points, nine assists. De- D'Angelo Harrison for Brindisi uh, torched Ostend with thirty five points, five rebounds, three assists, three steals for an efficiency of thirty four. Leading score in the league at twenty one point eight points. Uh, it's Wayne Wright against Stra- uh, for Strasbourg against Peristeri, eighteen and seven. Uh, ben Horton played a big role in Heredia, and, and Heredia's San Pablo Burgos's win over Dashifaka, 20 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. And the final member of the standout performance team, if you will, is Michael Kaiser, uh, Fef Riga, in the blowout of Ritas Vilnius, 18 points, 8 rebounds, uh, 6 assists, and 2 blocks. Fantas- fantastic game. Uh, thoughts about those that grouping of players and uh, maybe anybody that you thought could have uh, snug in there. I have one guy, but I'm gonna save it for later. Save it for later. Uh, okay, uh, I have one guy too, and I'll just when you I try to remember when you bring him up if if that's who it is, then I'll mention him too. But there's one guy that I think could have gotten in there. Uh, but then, similar to how it's been in the past, is you know if you bring somebody in, you really kind of have to kick one of these other guys out, and you know. Um, but um, yeah, all right. Um, interview later in the later on, we have uh, Lasan Chroma from Cholet. Obviously, uh, in in week seven, Cholet knocked off uh Ike Athens with uh, one of the surprises of the game uh, of this of the I guess probably one of the surprises of the season and um and uh so it, hang on for that a little bit later uh but let's uh, jump into the action of the week 
Starting uh, with Group D, we had Nizhny Novgorod moving to 3-1 and one with a 78-65 uh, victory over Lublin. So that eliminates Lublin. Uh, the, and uh, the other game in that group was uh, Falco's 94-86 thriller over Saragossa. Uh, Falco moving to 2-2 two and two and Saragossa dropping to 3-1. and one. Um, so, so the the main thing from my, from my standpoint of that group is is uh, is Falco getting the victory, but it only being by eight points. Uh, Saragossa had grabbed the nine point win at home, uh, so that actually gives Saragossa the tiebreaker over Falco. Uh, there was a late run of fifteen to two in the final four minutes, which was pretty impressive. If you think of all the weapons that Saragossa have. Um, and to, to pull off that, that, sorry, 13 to two run over the final four minutes. Uh, that was the, that was the most impressive on my, from my, uh, from my standpoint. Um, in general, what your thoughts about the, the, the two games in this group? It's going to be weird because uh, Zaragoza have been like dominant when you look at their, uh, record that, uh, they were at three and oh and could face elimination really soon because they have this defeat. They still have to face Nizhny Novgorod in Russia, which is always a tough game, always a tough trip to take. And then all of a sudden, like, you lose to uh, Nizhny on the road and Palko defeats uh, Lublin. And basically, you got a situation where you got three teams with three wins and it's going to be chaotic on actually two teams with three wins because Nizhny would obviously be the clear favorites of the group if they defeat Zaragoza here. So, in a situation where Zaragoza excel in the BCL and struggle in the ACB, this could be a tricky game for them traveling to Russia and all of a sudden it could it could turn into survival mode. Yeah, I think it's the the biggest thing is that they were at least able to keep that 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 uh, tiebreaker with with Falco in case there's the two way tie with them that that's that they're able to keep that. Yeah, exactly. If you see the ending of the game, it was clear that the coach wanted to do it. Like they weren't chasing the difference to win the game; they were kind of just protecting their the tiebreak. Tie yeah, the tiebreak. Yeah. Uh, tiebreak is uh, not much of a story, it seems, in Group B. With uh, um, we look at uh, Vefriga, uh, really blowing out uh, Rita's Vilnos, eighty four sixty. goes to three and one, and Rita's down to, uh, going down to one and three. The other game was Peristeri uh, not uh, losing at home against Strasbourg, six Strasbourg, uh, seventy six seventy nine. Uh, Strasbourg moving to three and one. Peristeri, uh, one and three. I'll let you go uh, with this uh, two with uh, two games. And you know, feel free to you know give me your thoughts on on what you think of this one. I mean, it was obvious in the first matchup between Rita Svilnius and Vefriga that Riga were the better team at this moment, and mm. they won the first game in Lithuania only just. But this one was a clear, dominant performance and just a statement that this Befriga is a dangerous team and they they aren't here just to get valuable international experience. They're here to do some damage, to kind of 
try and see how far they can get then uh, our colleague Dickon Lloyd Smith said it best because he said uh, that this Riga team has the vibe of the 20 uh, 2019 uh, Giants uh, Antwerp mm-hmm. so yeah. the team that reached the final four when nobody expected it so he's right they've got a similar kind of energy and it could be could be their season here yeah uh one thing you saw it uh Feverica had had the big lead in the first quarter it was 22 11 after the first quarter and and riga came uh Ritos came back and and they actually did the same thing in the first game and one of the one of the the it was when uh Allman went to the bench and he was also on the bench when when Ritos made the the run to come back uh and that kind of makes you wonder whether or not they they might need to try to go get um, at least uh, you know some sort of solid veteran whatever uh, to help with sort of the playmaking when Allman goes to the bench. But on the other hand, you don't want to get a guy who 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 does too much because what they do do when Allman's on the floor is really good. Um, so and and they they have a couple of experienced guys like Shkele is over there on the team so basically maybe he needs to step up in his role like yeah. the Solinger but it definitely team. seems like me that, the, that something needs to happen when he goes to the bench that they need to figure something out because this is the second the second time against them that 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 that's happened yeah yeah and and this Paris Derry team I you know with the coaching changes also come a lot of changes in the in the in the team and um, I, I, it's for for I, I, I was it was for me it was kind of hard to figure out exactly um, how Monseris fits into this team. You know, you know, Gray was so you know they 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 run totally different when Gray has the ball, and Monseris likes to have the ball, and it's not not necessarily hero ball, but you know he was very dominant with the ball, and uh, you know he's new to the team, and and he played with he played for coach at Peristeri before even. Um, so it, it seems to me that this team is kind of a little bit uh, in, in shambles. Um, and, and actually, Manceros was on the bench when Peristeri made the big comeback. They were down by 20 points uh, with uh, late in the third quarter, and they made it, uh, they tied the game uh, and needed the three-pointer by, by Jefferson to, to win it. Uh, but that was almost all done when, when, when Manceros came uh, when Monseris was on the bench, so just kind of wondering. And then I don't know if you remember, but Monseris wasn't didn't even come onto the onto the court after the timeout. I don't know if you remember that. Um, late in the game, late in the game, it was a, the final minute for sure. I don't know if maybe even last possession or whatever. Um, so there just seems a little bit of of, of uh, that, that whole the whole situation with Monseris is a little bit of a question mark on, on my side. Yeah, but still, like Coach Pedulakis always liked playing whatever he coached. He liked playing with two ball-dominant guards, so he's going to figure it out. They just need a little bit of time, but I'm afraid that the time uh, is running out for them I, to reach the next phase because Strasbourg and Befriga really don't... They, they didn't have like a single mistake so far. I mean, they, they both lost only a single game on a last-second shot, so there's, there's not much more that you can do. And at the same time, Ritas and Peristeri are struggling. Yeah. Like, Cavalry. Yep. So it'd be a major surprise for me if uh, Riga and Strasbourg didn't make the next round. 
Let's go to Group F, where that's our first team into the playoffs. That was Broza Bomberg winning at uh, Kashiaka, Pinar Kashiaka, 76-70 to move to 3-0 and on the road. Very impressive. Kashiaka is still with a game in hand at 1-2. At and, and the other game was Bilbao blowing out Fortitudo. Fortitudo continues to look uh, a little bit uh, definitely not uh, ready for the competition. 82-54. Uh, to they are winless at 0-3, Bilbao at 2-2. Uh, and uh, Thoughts about this group? Um, even though Bilbao are in theory right now ahead of Karciak, I think that still it's mm, a with points, clear yeah. pathway for Karciak to, to, go, to go and finish second in this group because Bamberg defeated them, but still when you look at their uh, talent level and depth level, Karciak are a team that was built to be at the final eight, not just to escape from the first round. So I wouldn't worry about them at all. And at the same time, like that game against Bamberg was a really, really good one. And usually, like when you see highlights, people would say, yeah, but dunks don't win games or one single highlight doesn't win a game. But in this one, I feel like it did because everything started going Bamberg's way after that monster dunk. But by David Kravish on Amat Bay, mm. uh, and it was they were like down six or seven points at the time. He had a huge dunk, and all of a sudden, like everybody started feeling good, and they made three straight three pointers uh, with Lockhart and uh, Vitali. Vitali made a couple of three plus one. I mean, just Bamberg are a team that feeds off of confidence like that, and when you have a feeler and a Kravish to give you some sort of highlight when you need it that charges up the entire team. And I'm, I'm really, really happy to see them at 4-0 because they are a team without superstars. And to be capable of defeating Karciaka in back-to-back games is just amazing. And that's the thing, back-to-back games too, you know, and, 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 and uh, with time. With time in between, yeah. that they could then adjust to Kashiak, and you know, no personal changes from from either team, uh, really to speak of at all. Um, uh, and one lead change that was midway through the third quarter when uh, Bomberg took the lead and never gave it up. Um, so yeah, uh, agree. And 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 really, to me, it would really be a shock if 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 Kashiak don't get through uh, um, as the second team. Uh, nothing against Bilbao necessarily, but uh, you, you know, you you look at this team and it is built for. Uh, you know, big games and, and, you know, Bamberg, you could, you know, you've talked about them, uh, you know, you're, you're not even in Germany. You're talking about them more than I yeah. have. Um, and yeah. they, but they've impressed very, uh, they've impressed me a lot. And, and, uh, and yeah, here's the, here's the thing about that matchup. Karsiaka are built to do the damage on mismatch nightmares. So you have, you can play with five guys who are about, uh, six, six tall, all of them, six, six to six, eight. So basically you have like, Morgan at five and by at four. Then you have Henry and DJ Kennedy or uh, Bittim or uh, Son Sirma at the point guard and uh, Tony Taylor at the point guard. So you can attack. Every every single player has the ability to find the mismatch and exploit the mismatch. But when you're going up against Bamberg, it doesn't happen because they've got a tall guard in Lockhart. They got a tall guard in Vitali. They got a tall guard in Hall. And the two guys in the front court are Kravish and Fieler. Right, more versatile guys. Uh-huh. Both ridiculously athletic. Mm-hmm. And, like, tr- you, you wouldn't say it when you look at them because, I mean, Chase Fieler looks like 
I, I don't want to insult him, but he looks like a guy from from my neighborhood that just hangs around. <laughs> don't expect him to go up and dunk on people. You don't expect him to switch on uh, uh, DJ Kennedy and stay in front of him. So basically, Bamberg are the worst possible matchup for Garciaka. And the way I see it, Garciaka, if they keep playing their game, they're going to have a brilliant season in Turkey. They already have it. And they're going to advance from this group and probably be at the final eight. They just need to hope that they don't end up meeting Bamberg or a similar team like that. Uh, let's move to Group G. Actually, three games to talk about in, in this one. Uh, we have um, Turk Telecom, Ankara winning at Limoges 75-70 to go to 3-1. and one. Limoges dropping to 1-3. and three. Then we had Igokea winning at home against winning the official home game at home uh, in in uh, Laktashi, uh, yeah. 75-73 against, against uh, Hapo Jerusalem to move 2-1 and 1-2 one and one and for Jerusalem. And then we'll talk about this other game in there as well. It was the makeup game for game day six. And that was uh, uh, Jerusalem bouncing back and winning... 8468 um over Ikea, uh, um Ikea, Ikea. um and uh really the only the only blowout um actually let's see it looks like uh, I guess Ikea did win by by 11 points against Tur- Telecom uh but before that everything had been within about 6 or uh, f- actually 5 points so the only real blowout of of this of this group uh, so basically, in my eyes, it was one game uh, and then two ga- and, and then one normal forty-minute game, uh, Limoges and, and Turk Telecom, and then one eighty-minute game, if you will, uh, with the other two. So, um, what'd you think? Um, I mean, I focused on the Igokea against Turk Telecom for all the reasons like that we talked about already on the show, and the first game was uh, full of trickery. Like the game lasted two hours and ten minutes or something like that. It was just like, who will outsmart whom? And basically, that's the kind of game that Igokea, especially in Laktashi, love to play. Like, there's no way you're winning a game if you get into talking to the refs, talking to the coaches, talking to the opponents. There's no way you're going to win in Laktashi. But in the other game, in the second game, it was all about just one person. Even though Sean Thomas had the greatest stats as always for Jerusalem, Jacob and Brown. I mean, he played with a dislocated shoulder or whatever it was, the injury. He basically played with one arm and still had like 16 points, nine assists in 22 minutes, which is absurd. And that's that's like the hero, heroic act that he is there to do because he's the team captain. They love him over there. He's been there for a long time. And if they advance from this group, it's all because of him because he just came back from an injury and to pull up and do stuff like that he did with one arm. It's, I mean, I, I got the chills just watching the game. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it hurt. It hurt even watching him. And, and you saw even when he put his hand up, he put his hand up once to you know say the foul was on him. And that was too much. Um, really t- to watch the, 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 probably they gave him a shot of pain relief whatever and eventually you saw that it kicked in because like the whatever it was the last five four or five minutes you saw that there was at least the pain wasn't necessarily there but 
um, th- when he was going through it, it was it was crazy. Uh, one thing is, man, they they really got beat up. Um, uh, Jerusalem really got beat up. There was the moment uh, late in the game where where Wilson and 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 Bremu, uh, uh after a free throw, I think it was, you know, yeah, yeah, ran into one another. Obviously, there was the brown shoulder, which let's all hope because this was the first game um, on the Tuesday was his first game of the season. He even missed the, the the final eight, so this was his first game. Let's hope just because he's a great player, you always want to see great players on the court. Let's let's hope that he that it's not um, uh, a serious reaggravation, if that whatever. But let's hope it's not serious. Um, and then even Blatt was was being worked on, so uh, they kind of get did get uh, beat up on this uh, uh, in this game. Um, uh, but I think you, in my eyes, you saw a little bit uh, of the of the of the of the quality difference, uh, you know, in that in that second game, especially because uh, really Jacobin Brown really really stood up that much more. Um, that's all I have on that on that one. Did you want to talk about the the, the telecom Turk Telecom Ankara and Limoges? A bit later. Okay. The one thing I want to say, I'm, I'm, it's a little disappointing. I never, you know, you never really want to question referee decisions and, and no game, in my opinion, no game is ever lost or won at the end on a, on a, on a, on a referee decision. You know, make, instead of make 73% of your free throws, make 79%. Don't turn the ball over 14 times, turn it over 11 times. And then that at the end, it doesn't matter. But it is a little bit disappointing that, Kind of the 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 unsportsmanlike at the end with five point four seconds had such a big influence on the ending of the game. It didn't lose the the game uh, for Limoges, but it did have an impact on on how the game would have had a chance to have ended. So that's the only. Uh, yeah. Not saying that the Turk Telecom did did not deserve to win at all, but it was just a little bit disappointing that that uh, um, that an unsportsman like that, you know, where they're just trying to foul the guy, and and really you almost could have said they that they could have given the foul um, on Wiltshire, I think it was the first time, but anyway, so that was my only thing on that. Um, so last group then is Group H, and uh, so we have uh, San Pablo Burgos knocking off. Uh, surviving, I think we could say even uh, Dasha Faka uh, in Istanbul, uh, 74-71, moving to three and one, and uh, Dasha Faka driving, uh, dropping to one and three, and then Brindisi uh, pulling away in the fourth quarter for a 93-81 victory over, over Ostend. Brindisi three and one, Ostend one and three. Um, my eyes surviving, uh, 37% field goals percentage for for Burgos. Uh, but you're starting to you start to starting to have a feeling like uh, you can almost say Burgos do Burgos kind of things, you know, where they just kind of figure out the way to win. You know, they get the flukish uh, three pointer uh, at the end of the shot clock by McFadden. You know, though, these are the type of things that Burgos is now starting to do. You have a feeling. Yeah, that's, that's the that's what the greatness of Coach John. Peñaroya is because he made winning a habit over there. Mm. And you're watching the game, you see Darushov take a 10-point lead or whatever, and you never have a feeling like Burgos are going to lose the game. And even that shot by McFadden, it kind of sums it up completely because it's a late shot clock and they're searching for the extra pass instead of being the hero shot over the, like, Benitez had the ball and had a player on him, and he opted to pass the ball. Then Horton had the ball, had a player on him, saw that McFadden had a look, and just gave the ball away. I mean, 
McFadden made a shot, and that's that's what great teams do, having confidence in each other at the last of seconds for the biggest of the shots, and that's what champions do. I mean, they are a champion for a reason. So basically, that, that's just, I mean, uh, sweep complete and basically a gigantic leap towards the next round. For, without, a doubt, without a doubt. Did you want to do, uh, do you have anything to say about uh, Brindisi now at all? No, I mean, it was all about uh, D'Angelo Harrison and his path towards the top of the MVP race because I had him at, I think, number four. But the way he's playing, it's, that's three places too low for him. Yeah, he was uh, pretty impressive, uh, to, to say the least. Uh, let's move to overtime. Uh, five, five different topics. And as usual, let's start with the stat of the week. And I'll let you go first. Uh, my stat of the week is two. Uh, that's the amount of rebounds that Nick Johnson needed to collect <laughs> a triple-double for Turk Telecom. And this is... I, I'm really sad that he didn't pick up two more rebounds because it would have been a perfect birthday present for him. He turned 28 one day before the game and just had some injury issues and didn't start the season with the team. And to have him back, everybody loves him over there. And to crown it off with an 18-13 and 8 game, a day after your birthday, it's just amazing. So congrats to Nick. And he would have been my guy that should have been in the standout performances. Exactly. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. Uh, my number is also two. That's the points off the bench for Turk Telecom in the win over uh, Limoges. All, four, all five starters uh, scored in double digits. Simit uh, Guyek was the only player um, to uh, uh, one of the only was the only reserve to score. He had two points. The four players who played went one of four field goal attempts, of two from the free throw line in 29 minutes of action. So just the two points by the uh, by the bench for Turk Telecom. Uh, overreaction Monday. Uh, this podcast is coming out on Monday, so we'll call it uh, Overreaction Monday. Uh, I'm I'm saying that Fevriga will finish first in uh, in their group. Uh, that they will uh, take uh, take the top spot from Strasbourg. Strasbourg won the first game. Uh, so but that, that by, means that we have to win in France, basically. Exactly, and and win by three points. They lost at the buzzer, obviously on on the on the Colson three, um, and so I think they'll win in France and they'll win by more than three points. The way they're playing, uh, I think that they will, and they'll be extra motivated to win that game. Remember, they they punched Strasbourg in the face. I think they led by fifteen points or something like that in the first quarter or something like that, and and there was the big comeback by Strasbourg, and that'll only motivate them that much more. So my overreaction Monday is Fef. Riga will finish first in their group. Uh, my overreaction Monday is that Jake Cohen Brown is the most talented player that we have in the league. Uh, so just speaking from a talent point of view, like the, it's always it's it's ridiculous to me to see an athlete do stuff that are extremely hard and basically makes it look so easy. So I'm not I'm not even talking about his injury and playing through injury. Just the way he moves, the way he dribbles the ball, the way he shoots is just so much talent is in that guy. And and I'm I'm really happy to have him back on the court because I could watch Jay Colin Brown run my offense like anytime, anywhere. <laughs> it's just a just a brilliant, brilliant talent. Yeah, I mean we've had we have quite a few, but uh, you know it's hard to complain, especially look and see what he did, yeah. regardless of the injury. Really, regardless of the injury, how he carried them yeah. uh, and uh, to the to the finish line on that. 
Indeed, we have other guys who are really extremely talented, but some of them are also athletic. Some of them fly to the top of the table. I mean, some of them are the fastest guy alive. I mean, all of them have different kind of qualities, but from a pure st- talent standpoint, just, I mean, he does everything with ease, and I, I just enjoy watching it so much. Did you know? Let you, I'll let you go first. Uh, did you know that uh, Nizhny is now on a, a six-game winning streak, which is the longest uh, in the last two years? And it's getting really close to a club record of uh, nine straight wins, which happened seven years ago. And coach was also Zoran Lukic at the time. So basically, <laughs> he's the connection between the team that played the BTB finals that reached EuroLeague and he is also now there and it's also a team that is made like of outcasts and guys who aren't supposed to be stars but they're playing so well together and a six game winning streak for Nizhny is a huge thing they got a game against Kalev uh, I think probably on the day that we published this podcast and then it's against CSKA Moscow, so that will be the biggest test for them. Yeah, that's a good test for them in general, though, playing in the VTB, because, you know, playing against teams like Kim Key and, and, and CSK and, and whatnot, those are always good, you know, uh, definitely good games to prepare you for for the BCL. Yep. Did you know that DJ Kennedy of Pinar Kashiaka is a four-time champion of the basketball tournament? I did. Ah. I actually did know that because I had that game, <laughs> Karsiaka against Bumbert. I had it on TV, and uh, in my preparation, I saw that he won the basketball tournament. Two time, two time MVP playing with overseas elite. Overseas. Uh, two, 2015, 16, 17, 18. 2015 was the first time. Um, actually, I don't even know if it's the first tournament, but that, they won one million the team, and then the the prize money jumped to uh, two million the, the the following three years, and the and uh, 2019 they lost in the semifinals. So uh, DJ Kennedy, a four time TVT champion, as Igor Natuli, of course, knew. <laughs> um, player to watch in 2021. Um, so just uh, uh, behind the scenes, you know, we we kind of break up, uh, you know, uh, uh, who's you know categories to talk about, and, and Igor came up with this one. You know, I, I and I I hope that more people will watch Feferiga that have already yeah, watched them. And, the same guy. and well, I don't know, maybe not because they they have two guys which are absolutely phenomenal to watch. Uh, I'm gonna go with Kyle Allman. Um, yeah. but you could also go with Kaiser. I mean, I think you, I think you kind of have to take uh, Allman just because he does more with the ball. Uh, I'll let you gush over him because we both do it. So I'll, I'll let you do it. <laughs> I mean, Kyle, he had over the two games against Rita, he had 40, 40 points and 18 assists. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous for a guy who's just started his pro career in Europe and just trying to find himself and his place in this competition and um, it's going to be a tough job for Fefriga to keep him in Riga for a long time because everybody's going to start watching these games everybody's going to start following Kyle Oman and he's destined to do some amazing stuff uh, reach the top levels of European basketball for sure Without a doubt, without a doubt and you can go to our podcast episode 7 
when the FIBA window was uh, was there, and you could listen to the interview we had with him. Um, so you gave it. You gave me the headline, or you gave me the the title of this one: Team Not Name uh, ERA Nimbrook uh, with the longest winning streak in all competitions in 2021. I'm looking forward to see who you pick. Yeah, so basically, we we have to eliminate Nimbrook from contention because they're used to winning 30 games in a row. I mean, that just became kind of the, the dominance that they have, that they win like, games in bunches. But if I'm not picking Nimbert, I'm going to pick Ike because Ike mm. have been known to go on 12-game winning streaks and 15-game winning streaks over the past couple of years. So I'm thinking that in 2021 they could do some major damage in Greek League while also being a contender in the BCL. And you have to take out any Spanish team because you know one of, they'll lose uh, you know, to one of the Barcelona's Real Madrid's. No, uh, I, even if they beat Barcelona and Real Madrid's, like, are you certain that you can beat Andorra on the road? Yeah, yeah. That, that, so I mean, you can't take any of the Spanish teams. I didn't think a Greek. I didn't think of Ike, but actually, Ike Ike, Ike makes a pretty good amount of sense because they're actually a team that that also could beat um, Panathinaikos. You know, so that, I mean, that, that's that's really um, and then also then remain undefeated in, in the in the Champions League. I, I actually I kind of went with um, with a with uh, with a team that. Uh, maybe wins a couple of games. First of all, is going to win their next two games, and then is going to win the the next, maybe the first couple of games in the in the next phase, and is going to stay undefeated um, at home. And I, I'm, since we all know that I'm, I'm a very big fan this year of Favriga, I'm going to stay. I'm going to go with Favriga because they're seven zero right now yeah. in the in the uh, Latvian and Estonian league. Um, and obviously, I think they're going to win the group, so that's two more victories. So I, I think that they're going to. Um, uh, I don't. I, I, you'll have to come back and 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 tell us what the actual final tally was on on the longest winning streak. Uh, but I think they could maybe get away with it. Yeah, the longest winning streak in all sports was like five hundred and fifty-five straight wins. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm think. I'm not sure what the sport name is. <laughs> uh, I know that the guy's name was Khan something like Jahangir Khan. Uh, it had to be, uh, I have to search for it now, but I remember because it's like 555, the longest winning streak. So just imagine how dominant he was uh, in his sport. Just trying to find which sport it was because I don't want to go out and say just, uh, this is the sport and be wrong. Uh, hold on, hold on, give me a second, give me a second. So well, I know that you know what. Like, why don't we Why don't we get you the interview of the week, and it'll give you a reason to stay stick around, and yeah, then and then cool. eager. And you know what? While you're listening to the interview, you could even go and research and try to figure it out. Uh, so here's our interview of the week. We have we talked to Lasan Cromal from from Chalet. Enjoy it. it. It's a little bit longer, but it's a it's really a very very nice interview. A uh, nice chat with him. So enjoy that, and we'll catch you on the other side. All right, so on the show this week, we have Lassane Cromant from Cholet. Uh, Lassane, thanks for uh, taking some time out of your schedule to uh, talk to the fans of the BCL. Yeah, no uh, no problem. Uh, it's a pleasure being on here. Uh, 
we wanted to have you on the show uh, because obviously Cholet came up with a big victory over Ike, uh, 79-70. Uh, to improve to one and three in the group and uh, hand Ike their, their first loss. I guess just first start off with, um, you know, it's, it's been, uh, it's been, you know, a few days, whatever, uh, maybe how, how do you look back on that, uh, on that victory? Um, I think it was a, it was a, it was a huge game. And uh, especially from um, playing at their house and, um, having it be in such a close game at their place and also missing a, a few players. Um, we were just uh, excited for the next time we played them because we just thought if we just just keep our composure and really try to play our game that, you know, the the um, the game would go on our side. And um, it was kind of tough because between then we didn't play for a while. So I felt like even um, that that game was that game was really huge for us to give us a chance to even, you know, go to the to the next round. You mentioned um, you mentioned the, um, the the game before. It was an eighty three eighty one victory for them in in Athens. Um, maybe what did you learn from that game that that gave you guys the the confidence? I mean, confidence you guys have anyhow. But maybe what did you learn from that game that really kind of um, said, okay, well, we can we can do it this time. Um, I mean, I felt like they were they were one of the best groups. I mean, uh, one of the best teams in in the BCL, even like the last couple of years, and I don't think they lost a game. And just seeing how close we were um, to them in that game showed us that we can compete, you know, that we have what it takes to, you know, to be on the same level as a, as a great team like that. So um, it just gave us confidence for, for the next time as try to clean up little errors that we had and, you know, try to see what's the difference we, uh, we could make to, to try, try to get that win. And um, it came out, it came out huge for us, you know, so, um, it was one of it was one of those games that gave us confidence from just being so close, just losing by by two points, you know. Especially them coming to our house, we felt like, you know, it's it's all out, you know. It's one of, one of like the last chances that we can have an opportunity to go to the next round. So it's just you know play all out. And uh, Yannick Marrera uh, had a really big first half. I think he had thirteen in the first half, and then scored early in the third. And he didn't get really another touch. I think he took one shot other than his tip in in the fourth quarter um, in the last, whatever it was, 17 minutes. That, that seemed to me sort of a, sort of a, a change um, in, I don't know if it's tactics or whatever, but was that something that you, obviously Yannick Murray has been one of the best players in the BCL so far this season. Was, 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 did you guys actually have a change on what you wanted to do with him in the second half? Um. I mean, even in the first game, we kind of, you know, kind of hurt us a lot, like, you know, in, uh, in the pain area and even the first half of the second game. So mm-hmm. we just want to focus in on just like limiting his touches and just making it harder for, you know, for him to get an easy basket, especially when we were switching and stuff like that. So we kind of just put a little bit more focus on him to, to slow him down. And, and uh, I feel like that kind of changed, changed the game even like in the second half, you know. Um, this club is in the, in the BCL for the first time, uh, you know, maybe just talk about the first two games you, you went to, to, uh, Belarus and, and, uh, and had a, uh, uh, a loss at their place and then also lost to, uh, Halone in, in Israel. Maybe just what, maybe just, you know, obviously it takes time for a team to find itself. You're also in a new competition. You know, a lot of guys are playing in this level for the first time, maybe just, you know, what were some of the 
you know the the how, the the slow going, uh, if you will, to uh, to start this the BCL season. Um, I think it was one of those things. Just um, just how the season was going. Just um, overall with even the French league. Just some days, some days we um, some weeks we have games, some weeks we don't. A couple days we don't have practice, and you know, then there was just I think there was like a period where. I think our league stopped for like a couple of weeks and we didn't practice for like one week and the next week it was a couple of players that was, that was here. So it was kind of off balance. So, and um, that led up right into, you know, um, the, the BCL competition. And um, I feel like it was one of those things where we just had to get, get used to it, try to be familiar with it. You know, I feel like it was, uh, it was one of those things where we try to find ourselves early, even, even when, um, I think we played we played three games in the BCL, and those are the only three games we played in like the like a month and a half. Yeah, so it was yeah. kind of yeah because you guys different to get that. Yeah, because you guys started one and four in France by the middle of October, but then they didn't play in the French league for almost two full months. So I mean, how yeah. how, how did yeah. you guys how did you guys handle that? I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, imagine it's not it's not easy, you know, even know if you're going to practice or not. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of tough at times, just even with you know, especially coming off one and four, and just having trying to get the good team chemistry and getting your rhythm, and you know, it's kind of off. You know, this is a whole new a new, whole new year with you know with COVID being around, so everything is kind of different. So um, it's one of those things like that we had to just accept it, like this is how it's going to be. So let's really not have any excuse and try to make the best of it, and this and this um. You know, try to go and practice every day. Try to learn something. Try to get better and just stay consistent. And hopefully, hopefully, um, have it turn the page. You know, so um, so the beginning of the BCL was kind of was kind of tough for us. But I feel like even now, just having one win in the BCL and then two other straight wins in the French league, it's like we're getting our little rhythm, our little step back. So it was pretty good. You mentioned the two the two uh, games in the French league. Uh, actually, just before the Ike, the win over Ike, you guys beat Dijon, who's obviously playing great, uh, not only in the in the French league but also in the BCL. You beat them by ten points, and then and then knocked off Nanterre uh, at their place. Maybe how important was the the victory over Dijon? As we mentioned, you really hadn't played in the French league in almost two months. Um, for your confidence, you know, especially when you guys held Holston and Julian, who you know everybody knows how how hot they can be, and they were five of seventeen on three. So maybe just talk about that, about that that mind frame change after getting after beating uh, Dijon. Um, I think it was a it was it was a huge win, just for our um, just for our, our confidence, our psyche. You know, um, Dijon being one of the best teams and you know, in France and even in the in the BCL. So, um, you know, just, just playing against them, it was, it was one of those things like, all right, we're, we're back. We're back finally playing a game in the French League, so we really need to, you know, focus in. And um, I feel like getting getting that win was like, a, you know, like a little snowball effect, like, okay, the confidence is growing. We know what we have and we know how we can execute it and really put our mind to it and, you know, and, um, and really come together as a team. And uh, I think it was like, like I said, like a snowball effect with the Ike game and then Nantia. And now we have a little break before our next game in the BCL against uh, Knicks, Knicks, I think. So hopefully we can just maintain that and keep it and um, not, not try to lose that, that little streak we have. Yeah. 
Let's go back a little bit. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you were born in Queens, uh, but uh, grew up, grew up in uh, Greenbelt, Maryland, which is really not far from Baltimore. Um, when when I say growing up, um, and you know, you beginning with the game, where where is that? Is that still in New York? Is that then in let's call it uh, metropolitan Baltimore? And maybe who are you know some of your role models growing up in the game? Um. I was I was born in New York, but I was raised in uh, like the D.C. area, the D.M.V. And um, you know, just just growing up, I was you know always a fan of um, you know Kobe Bryant and guys like Dwayne Wade and just guys I feel like that was similar to like my build and my my kind of my style of play, you know. So I was always looking up to those guys and. Even, even just a lot of guys from our area, just like you know the Kevin Durant's and the Mike Beasley's from our area. So there's a lot of guys to look up to and try to, you know, um, find inspiration to play. What what is the level of game there? I mean, you mentioned some pretty big names there. Um, you know, in in DC, we, we we also like to ask about the people we talk to. You know, growing up, what's the game like there where they grew up? Um, it's a it's a, it's a whole a whole lot of talent and um. Like the exact area where I'm, where I'm from, our state is called um, Prince George's County. Um, we call it PG County, and and there's so many. It's, it's it's a small area that has a whole whole lot of stars. You know, like I said, like Karen Duran, Mike Beasley, and Ty Lawson, and Victor Oladipo, and just going back to Demar Johnson, and you know, um, James White. There's so many. There's so many greats from around that area. So it's like. When we have like pickups or little summer leagues around the area, you really have to come with your game, you know, because you can go out there and really get embarrassed if you don't really come, come ready to play. And in such a small area with so many talents like you, you really have to work on your game, you know. And so um, that kind of pushed a lot of people to to get better and always be um be on be on top of their toes when when going against each other. So like it's a it's an area that's really rich and and a lot of great players on. You even got some legends over there, so this is it's definitely tough competition, you know. And I'll put up put us against, you know, anybody in the rest of the country or in America. Yeah, it's not it's not a place where a lot of people necessarily think about. Uh, you know, obviously people think you know L.A., Chicago, New York, Philly, and stuff like that. But uh, even though it's not always in the uh, up there in in there in people's minds, there's definitely talent from there. Um, maybe you, you went to George Washington, you had to sit, you, you sat, uh, a year, you had an injury, uh, maybe just your thoughts about, uh, your time there at, uh, GW and, and, and what are the biggest things you took out of that? Um, yeah, GW was, uh, you know, my first school I went to, it was, uh, pretty close to home. Um, went to freshman year, had a pretty, pretty, pretty good freshman year freshman team and all that stuff and my second year I got injured and um I tore like a ligament in my foot and, and it was out for, like the whole season so that was like my first big injury so it was kind of devastating just going through that and you know kind of like a like a tough time in my like basketball career you know um, and then then a couple years later you know fast forward to like my fifth year Ended up transferring over to UConn, where um where we had a great run and ended up winning the national championship. So um, it's one of those things. Back then, it's like 
they'll tell you, oh, don't worry, it's going to be good. Just like have high hopes. But at the time you're going through something like that, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to, to like hear that. But then afterwards, you know, you see what, what, what happened because of the injury, you know, being able to transfer and, you know, going to, going to a, a, a great situation. And um, this is what I learned from that is just, you know, things happen for a reason. You know, you might not know what it is at the, at the main time, but you might, you might notice it the next day, the next week, the next year, or even a couple of years down the line, you know, everything always happened for a reason. So it's, it's one of those things like you always, I always say to myself that, you know, if you, if you work on your game or you're working out, whatever it is, those shots might pay off in the next game, the next month, the next year, whenever it may be, but it's, it's going to pay off, you know. We'll get to, we'll get to that uh, twenty fourteen NCAA run uh, in in a second. One question before that though, um, you, with that final year of eligibility, you you went to UConn and uh, your your former car- coach from GW, Carl Hobbs, was there. He was an assistant. How much did him yeah. knowing you help you become a strong contributor on that Huskies team? Um, I mean, he was he was someone there that like you know I knew and felt comfortable with, so um. No, I, I was coming there just like a little bit, a little bit more comfortable if I was going somewhere else with nobody I knew. Mm-hmm. But um, Coach Ali was there, and you know, being a being a, go, a great coach and a great person that he is, he just said, you know, you come in and if you show off your work and you play hard, you know, it's, it's going to be fair game. You're going to earn your minutes, you're going to earn your spot. So just knowing it was my last year and being in a great program like that, I just knew how to do. What I had to do to get on the floor and just help the team win. So um, every day in and day out, I just came in just playing hard, and I was confident in my I was confident in my game, what I could do, how how I could contribute, and um, you know, it, it worked out well. It worked out well. Um, you guys went into the tournament as a seventh seed and knocked off the second, third, and fourth seeds, Villanova, uh, Iowa State, and Michigan, uh, yeah. to get to the Final Four. I uh, believe maybe even the first seven seed to ever get there. Um, maybe, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, Napier was just doing some amazing things in that run. Uh, and, uh, you know, you also, you know, he, him and, and Niels Gafai were, were leftovers from the 2010, is that right? 2010, yeah. 2011 um, yeah. NCAA team. Maybe just talk about the, the leadership of, 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 of mainly uh, Napier and, and getting you guys uh, to, uh, to Texas. Um, it was huge, you know, um, you know, Shabazz was there, you know, from the beginning and won this one championship his freshman year, him and Kafai and, um, and Orlando was there. Those three guys had, um, already had a championship with their belt. So, I mean, they, they knew what it took. They knew the leadership that, um, that they had to um, put their, the leadership role they had to put themselves in. And, um, it was one of those things we just, we just kept, we just kept, um, maintaining, you know, we want to get too low or too high. And um, it was one of those things we kept preaching, like, you know, it's, it's okay to be good in November, December, and January, but it's like the biggest thing is like if you can, if you can, um, if you can get the ball rolling, get a great streak at the right time. What I feel like we had in, in March is, is, is all you needed, you know, have a stretch of like six, seven of your best games ever, and then you know something magical can happen. But um, it was it was huge. Those guys being seniors, we had like an older, uh, pretty much an older team, and um, I think those guys just knew how to how to lead us and and, and navigate us to um, you know to the to, to the right ways of trying to trying to get wins. And Coach Ali and 
you know, Carl Hobbs and all those guys, you know, they, they all been there before. So, um, it was a definitely a, a, a great situation, good opportunity. And then, uh, knock off number one overall seed Florida in the semifinals. And then, uh, with 25 seconds left, 58, 54, you're on the free throw line. Um, basically you hit those free throws and, and, you know, that makes it a, a, a two possession. Well, it makes it two, you know, two threes they need to, uh, to tie the game. Uh, you had only four points in the championship game and those two free throws were probably two of the biggest free throws you've probably ever taken. Maybe just your thoughts going back, you know, you know, me, me, me and you reliving that right now. What, what do you think when you, uh, when you hear that and think back? Um, it was, it was kind of, it was, it was, it was huge. You know, um, I think like a, a play before a play or two plays before that, I know it was like a close game and the guy who shot the ball, I think it was ball right. Or I think it was Shabazz. And I came in and got an offensive rebound, the offensive rebound right? Mm-hmm. and threw it back out and had like another possession. So I mean, in that game, then um, there was Keenan on like Shabazz. I think Shabazz had the ball one-on-one up top and it was like way for him to attack. So I guess my guy kind of, you know, kind of like was slipping in, trying to double team, and he found me on the backside, and, and I was going to the basket. I think it was Alex Reuter who was who was a guy who uh, I think like fouled me. And all I knew, I'm like, he's gonna jump higher than me. He's it's the end of the game, so all I knew, I was like, I know this pump fake is gonna is gonna get up in the air. So, um, so as I'm at the free throw line, so we're in the um, AT and T Stadium. Which is huge, like ninety thousand, I think, hundred thousand people in this, and it's packed. So all I'm saying in my head is like, please, please don't airball <laughs> <laughs> this free throw at the end of the game with the whole world watching. Exactly. You know? Oh my gosh! So I'll, so I bounce, bounce, take a huge deep breath, and as soon as I made the first one, I was like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'll be good for the second one, you know. But it was one of those things, like. Not missing or making it. It's like just don't airball. Just don't airball it. <laughs> don't airball. But um, it was it was a great feeling, man. And looking back, it's like you know that was my last point in my college career and the last points of 2014 college season. You know, so it was kind of a good way to you know end my college career. You know, kind of couldn't, couldn't uh, have any better than that. You know. You you mentioned uh, uh, I don't, don't don't mean to burst the bubble, but but AT and T Stadium for that game had seventy nine thousand, which is still crazy. Um, uh, um, maybe just what's it like playing in that atmosphere? You know, it's a football stadium, and the 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 court is raised, so you know it's you know almost anything that you're used to uh, you know is out the door. Um, you know, plus you know the the free throw. You know, usually have. You know something you're used to be. You know the fans behind the behind right behind the basket, whereas the fans yeah. in this case are you know miles away. It seems like so maybe just what's it like playing in that atmosphere of seventy nine thousand fans in a, in a, in, a, in a stadium in a football stadium like that? Oh, uh, it was crazy. Um, we first noticed it like our first like shoot around. So mm-hmm. we're coming from like the locker room, so it takes like two minutes to even get on the court. Just how far? Just how big it is. So um, just like shooting around, was just like crazy with no fans in there, and just like playing on the elevated court. We had to get used to like you know the um, like the background and stuff. Like shots would be long, shots would be short. You know, it was just it was real, it was real different. But um, it's one of those things like 
you know, before before every game, a lot of games you'd be anxious, a little bit nervous. But I feel like as long as that when that ball tips off and you you get your first rebound or your first shot, steal your first foul, something, you know, I feel like all those nerves kind of just go out the window and you just go back to playing basketball, you know. Your first professional season was in Hungary with uh, Alba Fejavar uh, in 2014. Uh, your teammate there was Cleveland Melvin uh, from Baltimore. Just wondering if maybe if you knew him from high school, uh, him at Lake, Lake uh, Clifton, you at uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, I didn't know him, but I knew of him. Okay. No, I know, I know he went to DePaul and he had a great season at DePaul. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't know I knew of him. And, um, did that, did that help him being around that same area though? Could that kind of help you, your start in Europe? Yeah, I think it did. It was like, all right, somebody where, somebody is from where, close where I'm from. And so, and that was like our first year. So it was kind of like learning together, you know? So it was. That's one of those situations where it was, it was pretty good just knowing somebody's like going through the same thing that you're going through, you know. So it was it was good. Yeah. It was good. That second season, you was split between Turkey at Konyaspor and Kavalas in Greece. And yeah. one of the pitfalls that, you know, of European basketball is, you know, some players don't get paid. Um, and, and you actually went through the, went through the basketball, uh, um, the Tribune court and, and won. um, you know, how many players go through that? Uh, but, but maybe just how, how exhausting is that whole process? You know, you have, you know, okay, this is your second season and, you know, you know, I'm sure you heard, you know, here or there, you know, of, of some guy, whatever, not getting paid. And this is now going happening for you. And, and maybe just how exhausting is that um, going through that whole process? Um, I mean, it's kind of tough, you know, um, especially like after my first year, everything went smoothly, everything went well. And um, I always hear like little stories about, you know, guys not getting paid, guys doing this. I'm like, wow, this is just sounded crazy. And so my second year going there, I still didn't know too much about Europe. I didn't know who the Fenerbahce was and the Ephes and the Galatasaray. I didn't know none of those names, even playing there. So, um, so I was very green to the situation. And um, it was definitely frustrating and exhausting because um, that's when you knew, like, okay, this is like – professional ball and this is business like all I want to do is play basketball now I got to worry about you know finding a lawyer and doing this and blah 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 it's like taking away so much time that I want to do just playing you no know, basketball you know um, it's one of those things that you know you learn from and I feel like everybody has their own experiences and stories you know just being in Europe you know being on certain teams not paying or the house situation not going how they want to but it's one of those things that you know growing pains that you learn from you know um so it was a it was a pretty tough time though yeah that that's that next season of 2016-17 you you started in the in the d-league went to prometheus in 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 greece then to australia then back Mm -hmm. to hungary um just reading that um you 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 have to it's hard to comprehend even what it would have been like going through all of those places um, and situations in one season, maybe, maybe what was that, you know, season like for you as far as adjustment adjustments, you know, I mean, I think I would imagine at times you're like, you don't even know where your head is at. Uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, 
Right that year, I started in the in the in the G League. I got drafted by the G League and um, up there in Westchester, New York. Mm-hmm. And it was it was going well. It was going fine. Like once again, it was what my second, third, 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 fourth year. So um, so this is my this is this is new to me. You know, G League and how it goes and how it works and you know guys from the from the the Knicks to the the main club coming down and playing and it's like um. I thought I was doing well, you know, first game, I think I had like 16 and like four rebounds for some, okay, I think I can, I can do this. It's just, you know what I'm saying? This, this is nice. This is a good area to be in. And then I think we had like a game, the next two days. I'm like, I don't think I played or something. And I'm calling my agent like, yo, why are they doing that? Like, I just had a good game, blah, blah, blah. Not knowing it's way more than just you having a good game and all that stuff. You know, um, they, uh, I think they brought somebody new in who was like, you know, who used to play for the team before and blah, blah, blah. And um, it was just like that. That fast was like, okay, we're waving you, getting a new player, blah, blah, blah. Like, if you need anything, call us, whatever. And um, like instantly after that, you know, I went to uh, went to Greece. So I went to Greece when I went there, doing all right, doing all right, doing okay. And I guess they fired their, they, they fired the coach that was there. And the new coach that came in, he wanted his own guys there. And then he started switching the whole team up again. So like a, within a month being there, I'm like, damn, this is, this is, this. I mean, I didn't have too much time to even think to be like, all right, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? Cause I felt like I was doing okay. And the next second I found myself going to, you know, Melbourne, Australia and their season is cut short. It's short, right. Yeah. Yeah. So no matter what, it's like, like, oh, why are you why are you on like three, four, five teams? I'm like, well, half of it, like the team season is over, so I had to go another team anyways. And uh, so I mean, as soon as that was over, I was kind of exhausted. Like, man, I just want to go home and just I'll take it from there. And my agent was like, man, we got a situation in Hungary. It's the end of this. This is the last couple like months of the season, so you might as well just like go somewhere and finish well. And, you know, not knowing going there and having one of, like, my best seasons ever, you know, percentage-wise, points-wise, and everything. So it was kind of like a little blessing in disguise that I even went there or went to that situation because, you know, it helped me out, you know, um, for the next season. So the whole season was kind of like a blur. It was kind of fast. It's kind of kind of low-key. can totally imagine like, that. <laughs> just, just, coast, just coasted through it, you know. And, uh, yeah. Especially after what happened in Turkey too. Um and, yeah. and then you ended up the next season seventeen eighteen, you were in Romania with Cluj and, and, and played the uh, BCL qualifiers and also uh had a run with the uh in the FIBA Europe Cup. Um I wanted to ask about one of the, the teammates from that team, Croatian national team guy, uh Jelko Sakic, who obviously BCL yeah. fans saw do some great things uh last season with uh Lee Cabellis. Maybe just what's he like as a teammate, and and maybe what are some of the things that you learned from him, and and what was it like running with him? Um, he's a real funny, he's a, he's a real funny guy, you know. Um, even just when we first started playing with each other, I was like, I was surprised with his skill set, you know, passing, shooting, dribbling, you know, as a four man, he kind of, he kind of do it all, you know. Um, so. Um, no, he was a he was a great great teammate, good guy. Knew how to play the game. Always trying to tell me like just little just little things about the game, you know. Um, 
try to try to better myself and stuff like that. But um, nah, he was a definitely a real good player, and um, fortunately we lost like in the semifinals that year. But um, it was a it was, it was a good team, it was definitely a good team. My my question for 2018-19 season was what uh, why the move from the French Pro A. Uh, to the second division pro B with Rouen, where you you ended up leading the league in scoring. What what was the what was the thought process and everything going on with uh, with the move uh, to Rouen? Um, uh, it was it was I don't know it was kind of it was kind of weird and different. Something I didn't really understand even like to this day. And um, even the move going to to um Bullizac, I was. I was changing agents as well. You know, this was a new agent that uh, put me in that situation. And um, I felt like I went there doing well and preseason games, I'm doing okay. And I don't know, out of nowhere, it's like, just in the preseason games, in the first game and the second game, like my minutes are like being, being lowered to like 10, 12, 7. I'm like confused, you know? And I'll, I'll go in certain games and have a great, quarter and just don't play the rest of the game so kind of felt like it was a little bit more than just my game or to have something else planned or whatever the case may be but once again another situation where where everything happens for a reason you know went to um went to pro b um ron which which was a a great great team great great people fans teammates was great coach was fantastic one of the situations where I try to I try to make the best of the opportunity instead of just trying to, you know, think about like where I should be or why this is happening, but just try to take advantage you know, of the moment. And um, it was real close to making it a, a real special year. Yeah. And then last season and this season, you were returning to countries where you had already previously played uh, Colossus in Greece and now Chalet in France. Um, you'll, you'll turn 30 next June. Maybe how much did, uh, if at all comfort level and, and let's say understanding of the league play, uh, in the choice of those clubs. Um, it was, it, it played, it played a little bit of a part, but, um, it was one of those things where like th- those were countries where, you know, I've been there before and something happened, you know, kind of, I would say wrong or it didn't go how, how I planned. And, you know, just me, you know, being confident in myself and how much work I put in, it was kind of like a little chip on my shoulder. Like, okay, when I go back to these countries, I'm going to really prove, like, I deserve to be here and, and prove my wealth, you know. So um, so it just kind of felt good to come back and just really show what I, could, what I could really do with that. The first time around was, you know, was a mistake or whatever may have happened. So I um, just wanted to prove myself was the main thing. Keep proving myself on every level, you know, it's French league, BCL, and, you know, hopefully it goes higher and higher, but just keep proving myself knowing that I can compete at a, at a high level, at, um, at any level. We like to uh, give our bas- our BCL fans a, a chance to ask uh, uh, our, our interviewees some questions and a couple of uh, people from Instagram chimed in. Ah, Johnson twenty six asks, "At what age did you realize your game was nasty?" Was nasty? Um, uh, I don't know. I think I'm sure maybe 
I think I was like 15 or 16. I think we were playing like a couple games, like the preseasons and start the start the season. And I think it was a couple games in a row where I had like 40 and like 35, like like straight, like a couple games. And, and that's when I knew. I was like, you know, I think I can really like do something pretty good at this game, you know. So um, I think that's where it kind of really all started. Like, all right, I think I got something a little different than, than normal, you know. Uh, M. Brusevitz31 uh, asks, why does he have the nickname No Stones? Is that is that the nickname? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, nah, it's one of those things like, um, you know, if I find like an opportunity where, you know, um, I, I want to take advantage of every opportunity. So I just want to you know, leave no no stones unturned, you know, to oh, nice. take advantage of it. <laughs> okay all right cool um and uh, underscore eluani elroy um ask michael stockton is better than john stockton right <laughs> right now right now at this, at this time i <laughs> think so exactly <laughs> yeah yeah um i want to go back to to one other former player maybe how much are you watching uh pinar kashiaka uh, from Turkey, and obviously that's where your former GW teammate Tony Taylor's playing. Uh, maybe yeah. how, how uh, you know how much are you watching them? How much do you keep up with him? And and how much uh, fun would it be to face him and them in the in the BCL? Um, I mean, I've been I mean teammates with great friends. You know, see see each other, saw each other over the summer this year, and uh, you know, been real close since college. But I, of course, I watch. I mean, uh, I pay attention to every game. Try to try to watch as much as much as I can. You know, he's been doing he's been doing well. It's like a second year there, and um, I was really excited at the beginning of the season because there was in our group. You know, uh, okay. all right, and, and, it's the first time I get to play. You know, ex teammate, blah blah blah. So it's gonna be like crazy. I'm telling some of my guys back home, like, yo, you guys gotta tune in. This game is it's gonna be good. But then I was kind of like kind of bummed when they changed the schedule and they took us them out of our group so I was like man hopefully hopefully somehow we make it to the next round and get to play against them it'll be real good but um, he's, he's doing well over there he's yeah he's well. got a championship he's got a BCL title even to his name as well yeah yeah um, back to GW actually um, you graduated with a degree in criminal justice um, I know yeah. that um, that it's hard for uh, for players often to, to really think about their college degrees and how they might might use it later. Is that is that something that uh, maybe down the road you you have in mind? Um, not too sure. Maybe you know I never know um, what kind of situation is going to come up within you know within within time. So um, you know it's one of those things that you know if you haven't you have a degree you haven't used in like ten, fifteen, whatever years, it's kind of tough to you know um, bring it out and just use it. And I feel like you have to kind of like start all over again. But um, who knows? Who knows what kind of situations is gonna come up with with that degree that I might, you know, might use it for. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cro- uh, Chroma is a is a um, is a typical name in in Liberia. Uh, and in 2017, you you picked up the citizen citizenship from uh, from that country. Maybe what's the background on that? And and, and maybe um, does it have any special meaning to have that passport? And and is there any maybe plans to play for their national team at all? Um, yeah, my, uh, my, my, my family is from there, you know, half my family is from there. So, um, 
I mean, that's how, you know, that, that's where the, the connection is. You know, I feel like I should uh, um, just, you know, just having a passport. I want to go, want to go back there one day as well. You know, um, so, um, so yeah, what's it call it? Uh, it feels, I mean, it's good. It's good having, having a passport, even like places, um, like here in France, I think maybe in Spain that, you know, you can use your passport and, and um, um, it, it works over here. So, um, it was, it was good. It was good. Let's finish off going back to the BCL. Um, you guys have a, it's a seven point loss at Minsk and a 10 point loss at Halone. Um, you know, those aren't, you know, uh, those aren't, uh, unsurmountable, uh, numbers, uh, to make yeah. up and get the head, uh, the, the tiebreaker, which you already have with Ike. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe how confident is this team now? You know, you've, you've got the, the big win over Dijon in the league, in, in the domestic league. You obviously knocked off Ike and then you followed that up with Nanterre. Okay. There's a little break, um, to kind of get your, you know, bring your, bring everybody back down to, you know, uh, back down to ground and, 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 you know, clear your head, say, okay, you know, we've done some things, but we're not there yet. Maybe just, you know, how confident is this team that, the, that you can get the, that sec, get one of the top two spots in that group? Um, I mean, we're confident, you know, um, you know, we, uh, I know we're going to have to start the game being down seven, zero or 10, zero. So it was, um, you know, it's, it's basketball, you know, you never know how the outcome's going to be until, until the clock says zero, 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 you know? So, um, it's one of those things that we're going to be confident in, in doing it and know that's going to be, know it's going to be a challenge, but it's going to be something that's definitely we're capable of doing. You know, so um, especially you know, it's gonna be a it's a home game, and you know, I feel like we're getting our our chemistry together, and you know, having uh, a, a good you know a, a good rhythm on the court. So I feel like it's it's, gonna, it's perfect time to coming back the second time around, going against these teams, and um, I feel like it's gonna be a, a, a great challenge. All right, fantastic, uh, Lasan Kroma from uh, Cholet. Thank you very much for taking some time. Uh, Merry Christmas and uh, good luck uh, in the uh, final two home games uh, of the regular season. Thank you. I appreciate uh, you guys having me. And, um, Merry Christmas as well. All right. Fantastic. Uh, f- first of all, thank you to all the the listeners uh, or ex-teammates or old friends <laughs> of Lasan that have come on and, uh, and uh, ask questions. Um, yeah, that, that break, I, I imagine it's pretty hard to, uh, to, to deal with, um, uh, you know, really the only games in two and, a, in almost two months were the, were the games in the, in the Champions League, uh, in, in the first half of the, of the regular season. And then, you know, coming in and getting the big victory over, uh, over Dijon right before knocking off Ike. Um, you know, this is a team that, that seems to be rolling a little bit right now. Uh, they beat the Nanterre right after that victory. Um, and then, uh, you know, now they have to wait until the eighth. It's not, um, maybe as long as, as it's not as, as brutal. Uh, but still, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're cruising, you don't want to, um, you don't want to have to wait too long to play. Um, and, and they're really, you know, you look at that stretch of games, uh, almost beating, almost beating Ike, then beating Dijon, beating Ike, and then beating Nanterre. And then you're like, all right, we're rolling, let's play. And then, and then they have to sit for a while. So just, you know, you know, uh, Chalet, thoughts about Chalet? I think that 
the fact that they didn't play for two months in France and they had a 0-3 start uh, to the Champions League, I think that kind of made us all underestimate them because they're a serious team and they, they look good. They play good basketball. And you cannot win Dijon and Ike in a couple of days on circumstances or just pure luck. You have to be a good team to do that. And they did it. So basically, um, I'm excited to see what they're going to do in the second half of the season, the 2021 part of the season, because their schedule is going to get hectic now with all the makeup games and everything. So not sure that they're going to make it out of the group, but I'd like to see them do that. And I'd like to see them challenge in the French League also. It's a little bit of a tough ask. Uh, you know, the fact that they do own the tiebreak on Ike, okay, that might not make that big of a difference necessarily, but, you know, you do have makeable makeups uh, as far as deficits go with um, uh, with Smoky Minsk was just a seven-point loss, and then the loss at Halone was only 10 points. So both of the games are at home, probably won't have fans, probably. Um, but you will have home games and not insurmountable deficits. So I, you know, that the door is still open. It's, you know, it's, it's not, yeah. you know, they definitely kept, they definitely more than just barely kept their hopes alive, you know, by doing that. If they advance, they should send a cake or a keg of beer or whatever to Burgos because Burgos <laughs> stole Maxim Salas from Smokiminsk. Basically that, that, made Smokimensk a whole lot weaker and uh, it gave Cholet a real chance to kind of try and go and charge towards the next round. All right. Then uh, let's call it a let's call it a wrap. Uh, with the long interview we went a little bit longer than we might usually go. Um, so uh, the next games are on January fifth. So we have a little bit uh, of a of a of a break still. We will have a show next week. Uh, so you don't have to worry about missing out on any action. We will uh, have an interview uh, next week. So, um, Igor, maybe just your thoughts about uh, the, the this week and, and, and maybe now what uh, what your thoughts are on, on what the next, let's say, whatever it is, 10 days um, before another game or whatever it is uh, before another game and, and maybe what you're going to be looking for in that that. Uh, first group of games, not necessarily previewing any games in particular, but in general? Um, it's going to be exciting because with most teams playing four games, we only have one team that secured passage to the next round and it's Bombay. So basically, all to play for every single game will still count and that's the benefit of this new format. Uh, the fact that not a lot of teams have been eliminated so far and a whole bunch of teams have a chance to be among the Sweet 16. And one last thought, um, so I don't forget about it. I mentioned the <laughs> 555 matches. What's crazy to me is that I remember that it's 555, and I actually pronounced the name right. It was Jahangir Khan. <laughs> and I wanted to say badminton, but it wasn't badminton. It was squash. Squash, and okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, basically, that there he didn't lose a game between 81 and 86 for five years, but now there's a new book <laughs> things you find out when you Google stuff. Now there's a new book out and it's kind of questioning his winning streak 
saying that he probably lost a game or two just wasn't documented because early 80s weren't as technologically uh, advanced as 2000s. Okay, yeah, um, fantastic uh, badminton. There you go. You 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 expected uh, only to have basketball. Now you're getting some uh, back uh, some squash some squash badminton uh, knowledge. Badminton though would have probably been uh, Chinese. Uh, where was he from? Uh, I think he was from India. From India, yeah. Badminton is the is, is ah, more from Chinese. From Pakistan. So from Pakistan. Yeah. Okay, there you go. There you go. All right. So last thing, I guess, is to say goodbye to 2020. This is our last podcast. And uh, we'll we'll reflect on 2020 a little bit uh, more in, in next week's show. Uh, so to to all of you out there, uh, enjoy the last couple of days of 2020 and look forward to a, a, a really promising uh, 2021. Igor, uh, I'll let you uh, say whatever final words you might have. Not much. We've talked enough. So basically, let me just say Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, uh, and everything else that goes with it. Enjoy your holidays, and we'll have BC election back in no time. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. Talk to you next week and next year.